This, this, this is you. K-U-T. K-U-T, Austin. Stop. I'm Jennifer Staten. How do you persuade someone to examine and maybe change their thinking? I don't mean about, say, which is a better pet, cat or dog, or iPhone versus Android. I mean about broad societal issues, about equality, diversity, and fairness. The YWCA Greater Austin has launched a two-year community partnership initiative to train other organizations to apply a gender and racial justice framework to their work. The trainings encourage people to explore and reflect on their own beliefs and learn, or maybe unlearn, things along the way. I'm really intrigued by how these kinds of trainings go. How can people be convinced to, at the very least, take a closer look at beliefs that could be long and tightly held? So I asked YWCA Greater Austin Executive Director Angela Joe Totha Medina and Volunteer and Training Institute Coordinator Haley Campbell to talk with me more about the training. Here's Haley first. Our community partnership initiative was started because we were interested in giving educational and nonprofit organizations in Austin an opportunity to receive continuing education training. And we thought that the best way to do that would be to make it affordable or, in this case, free, because that helps more people, we think, um, and can be more impactful. So under that partnership, what we do is we talk to nonprofits and we see if they're interested. Um, Then we sign an MOU together. And under that MOU, basically, we say you can send up to 12 staff members annually to free trainings with us. We ask that they assist us in marketing for our trainings and providing outreach opportunities for us, uh, maybe with events that they're doing or community projects, things like that. Um, And we do the same thing in return. This is Angela. One of the reasons this came about was because generally nonprofits are underfunded in the area of staff development. And in the city of Austin, one of the priorities, strategic priorities of our city is to become more equitable. So what we wanted to do was, as an organization that's been doing this for 111 years, because our mission is to eliminate racism and empower women, we wanted to help other organizations build that kind of internal capacity to apply a gender and racial justice specific framework to the work that they do in order to better respond to the needs of our community. Are there particular nonprofits that you kind of target with this or is it open to any nonprofit in the area? Um, This is Haley. Typically, we do want nonprofits that are in line with our mission. So ones that value equity, uh, value empowerment, value diversity. However, it's not exclusive. It doesn't have to be written in your mission statement that way. It just has to be an organization that supports those values. Talk about the actual content of the training. So it's geared towards your mission of eliminating racism and empowering women. What actually happens in the training? This is Angela. And in in general, it's not just one training, but rather a series of trainings where you're giving people um, the opportunity to learn how to apply that racial and gender justice perspective to a variety of different areas. Um, because one training alone won't address the root causes of gender and race-based inequities. So for us, it's a process, giving uh, the community a process through which they can learn, unlearn, self-explore, and reflect upon themselves and upon the way that they sit within the current um, reality of, of gender and racial equity or inequity in our community. This is Haley. 
We do have several ongoing series that we offer throughout the year. Um, There are five of those. Basically, we have our monthly dialogues, and so those explore very specific issues related to gender and uh, racial inequities, and each month those change, and they're very much based on what's happening in our community climate. Then we have our professional development series, a love and sexuality series, a continuing education series, and a personal growth series. And so under all of those, there's different types of trainings that explore certain issues. So let's then kind of go then a level deeper into what you're actually talking about when you're doing these different trainings, because eliminating racism and empowering women, those are large, ambitious, and deep Mm -hmm. topics. So how do you start those conversations? What do you get people talking about? This is Angela. So it's about asking people to reflect on their personal experiences in a variety of situations. In that line, what we do is we offer um, Pledge to Step In, which is a bystander interventions training and a self de- self-defense training, where if you see someone being um, verbally assaulted or mistreated, where you learn tools and techniques to intervene. Oppression in the session, it has a focus on the relationship and the dynamic between service providers and their clients when they interact in the provision of services, exploring bias, which helps individuals understand and acknowledge differences in privilege so that they can break apart and redefine the way they look at the world, cultural competency, cultural humility, learning how to interact with different cultures in a way that's about learning about them and understanding them rather than imposing the dominant culture. Because imposing the dominant culture, you're not providing client-centered services. You're not reaching people in the way that's going to be the most impactful to them. We also do some seminars on being an ally to different types of communities. This is Haley. One of our trainings that we offer is called Implicit Bias or Exploring Implicit Bias. And that one in particular, I think, is really beneficial, especially for people who've never attended any of our trainings before, because that training forces people to ask questions that may make them uncomfortable. And it kind of puts them in a position where they're in a safe environment and they can explore how their individual experience has been shaped by their culture, their privilege, their identity, um, all of these things. And then it also gives them an opportunity to look at other people and how they've been shaped by all of these. And so that is a really good training for building this foundation. Um, And I think that that one asks a lot from a person and helps start this process of doing all these things that we want to do. This is Ankla. I think that it's about like helping people understand the baggage that they bring to the conversation and helping people learn to look at the way that they exist in the world through an intersectional lens. So it's about helping people recognize their privilege. It's a hard conversation to have with people that don't think that they've been privileged, that don't think that like, that say like, well, you know, my parents were poor. I grew up in a poor neighborhood. I had to pay my way through college and I had to work for everything that I've got. And if I'm here today, it's because I worked hard. And it's about helping them recognize that the fact that we're not removing the fact that they worked hard. But what we're saying is that someone in their exact same situation, who is of a different race or gender, may have had to work harder. Because of the baggage, and baggage is, it has a negative connotation. I'm not trying to give it a pejorative, you know, sound, but because of, of the challenge that exists in this society around gender and race. 
Do you have to change the training if you have a staff that's mostly white or a staff that's mostly men or a staff? I mean, does the training have to change depending on what the makeup of the staff is? Or are you just giving everybody tools to kind of start exploring on their own? Well, I think that any good trainer knows that you have to adapt your your content to your audience. So in that sense, you, we do ask for information about the audience, audiences that we're, we're teaching. That being said, the end goal is ultimately the same. And I personally feel that like the more diverse the audience is, the better, because then you, co- you have compare and contrast with your peers rather than lecturing about something where you want real experience in the room. I think that that's when people learn the most, when they learn from the people around them and the people that they know. You don't love all your coworkers, but you love some of them. And you know, like, so people that you love and care about. What is the goal of the training? Is the goal to change minds, change behavior, change attitudes? What's the goal, you know, over the course of the months or year? What do you hope the participants will be doing or thinking or acting differently at the end. This is Haley. So we hope that they will be thinking about their interactions with other people and thinking about how those interactions have these layers to them, how maybe the institutions have treated some people differently. And yes, we do want to change people's attitudes. We do want to change their behaviors. And this all starts internally. When you can internally think of something in a whole new way, then you can start the process of making political change, making institutional change, making societal change. So that's kind of our end goal. This is Ankla. It's exactly what Haley says. So our mission is to eliminate racism and empower women. We've been at it for a very long time. As a country, we've been trying at it for a very long time. It's about creating a ripple effect. When you help someone think differently about their reality, they will go back and they will reflect that onto the people in their environment and push those hard conversations because it's about people getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because the problem is that everyone has been too comfortable with the status quo. So when you are in the training and you get people to the uncomfortable point, How do they tend to respond? This is Haley. It can be uh, very different reactions. Some people get very defensive. Um, Other people are really open. We've had people crying. We've had people hugging. We've had arguments. It all really depends on the environment that's in that particular training and how it's handled. And so our clinical director, Laura Gomez-Horton, she's the one that typically facilitates this training, and she is amazing. She is so good at mediating those sort of tensions that can rise and kind of helping people understand why they might be feeling those and um, kind of bring that down and make it more understandable to everyone in the room. This is Ankla. I feel that we're very fortunate, and I feel that it's one of the the value added that the YWCA's trainings bring to the community is that they're, like, they're for the most part, facilitated by individuals that have a, a mental health background. In that sense, if you think of your mental health as the foundation and the layer upon which the rest of your persona is built, our staff is very adept at navigating the nuance of that uncomfortable space. Can you talk more about that that intersection of mental health and this work? Sort of talk about how that plays into what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve with this training. How does mental health play into this this picture? 
She's the clinician. Okay. <laughs> sort of. Um, <laughs> this is Haley. So mental health underlines the way that everyone operates on a day-to-day basis. If you are not able to say, I'm healthy mentally, then you're not performing at the best level that you can. So YWCA Greater Austin, we have a huge counseling program where we provide all kinds of services to all kinds of people. So that it has become an underlining component of all of our other programs as well. And we incorporate that in by, at different trainings, we do a lot of mindfulness activities. We do a lot of self-awareness, things that we help people get in tune with what is going on internally for them and kind of drawing attention to that and not just overlooking it, not we don't want to just have a surface level training. We want to have a training that is meanif- meaningful, sorry, meaningful and impactful and can change someone's life, something that they're going to remember. So having mental health components underlining that work is very important to us. Did you want to add anything? Okay. And just one more follow up on that. So would you regard that attention to mental health as a vital part then of making the changes that you're advocating for? Does that need to be part of the scene in order to achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve? This is Angela. And what comes to my mind is, so the YWC Greater Austin, we achieve our mission of eliminating racism and empowering women by promoting the health and safety of women and girls. That's one of the issues that we address. And that's where the mental health component comes in. Um, in that vein... I believe that I lost my train of thought this time, Haley. Could you ask the question again? Sure. I'm, I'm wondering if, do you believe that mental health is a vital component of achieving the goals of the YWCA of making this work successful? So yes, mental health is a vital component because within the YWCA's mission of eliminating racism and empowering women, we achieve that goal by promoting the health and safety of women and girls, their economic empowerment and advancement and racial justice and civil rights. And mental health is the underlying um, basic need to be met. With that, you know, um, when we think about the services that we provide and the importance of of mental health when you talk about the elimination of racism and empowerment of women you have to keep in mind that there is certain trauma that comes from being oppressed and that unless you recognize that trauma and you give it a space to heal it um the, the situation will never ultimately be resolved or changed I'm assuming that you run into people in the training who come with really kind of ironclad, tightly held beliefs, probably from family backgrounds, Mm -hmm. maybe even that go back generations. How do you start kind of nudging that along? I mean, how do you how do you um, encourage people who may be really holding on tightly <laughs> to what they believe. How do you encourage them to, to think differently than they may have been brought up to believe? So this is Angra. And what came to my mind when you asked that question was the way water erodes a rock. The more people are exposed to these kinds of conversations, the more that their heart, hard felt and hard held beliefs are often eroded because it's through that exposure and it's through the constant listening to other people's stories that the dominant narrative in their head gets challenged constantly. This is Haley. 
And I think the more they interact with people who are maybe in the same workplace as them and they see that what those people are saying in those trainings and bringing to those trainings, that helps with that process. When it's someone you care about and someone you love who's saying this, it's a lot harder to say, oh, that's not happening and to just try to overlook it. It's a lot harder to ignore something that's someone you love, someone you work with, someone you care about. Um, And so it's when we take these trainings to other organizations, I think that the people who have been holding on so tightly, that's when it really can be meaningful is when their coworkers are open and expressing these things too. The groups that you all work with and who come to you for training, I'm assuming it's kind of a self-selecting group of people who may already be somewhat open to these ideas or to exploring the goals of eliminating racism and empowering women. What about the groups that don't come to you and that aren't asking for help with this training and that don't get this information. That is one of the challenges that we have. I think that's one of the challenges that we have in general in our culture and our society is that people silo and it's a hard silo and people self-select out of difficult conversations. They, They surround themselves with echo chambers. The way that we try to build, make inroads into communities that might not, um, select to be a part of of the conversations that we're having is by taking advantage of any opportunity we have to interface with different audiences and to partner with different organizations. That's the only way because people let you in if they trust the people that you're working with. It's just a, a general premises of like social services in general. It's through existing relationships that are based on trust that you're able to re- build new relationships based on trust. What would you all say is the hardest part of this work, the broad goal of the YWCA, eliminating racism and empowering women and also the training, but but even just more broadly, what's the what's the most challenging thing about having that as your goal? This is Haley. So I would say one of the hardest things is getting our message out to people who aren't wanting to hear it or who don't have access to hear it. That's a big piece that we've been working on over the last year, especially and previously as well. But We really want to get out further to the community, which is part of the reason we started our community partnership initiative, is to reach more people and reach greater audiences. This is Angela. In the last year, Resist has become a call to arms. And I think that the challenge of the work that we do is that we've been resisting for a very long time. We're one of Austin's oldest organizations. We've been around for 111 years. We were involved in the civil rights movement. We've been involved in in movements before and since. Our challenge, I think, is keeping your eye on the prize because it's very easy. And now I'm speaking from a personal perspective to become demoralized in an environment where although more people are resisting, there is such a prevalent narrative from our um, nation's leaders that is um, negative and does not support in the way that we would like the work that we do in terms of eliminating racism and empowering women. So there's a very strong narrative that uh, raises a status quo that has for far too long suppressed voices that have a lot to add to the conversation. Looking back over that long history of work, how has it gone? I mean, are there are there accomplishments where you can say, yeah, we, we made some progress here? This is Ankla. We've totally made progress. I mean, the problem is that now, whereas before we were playing 
offense in terms of making greater progress, right now we're in hard defense mode. It's not about let's advance things, but we're still trying to advance things through initiatives like the Community Partnership Initiative. But mostly it's about let's hold our ground and make sure that we keep having these conversations when people want to bury this and make it seem irrelevant. Those times when there were advancements, what tended to be the the factors or the driving force that brought those changes about? In that sense, what comes to my mind again is resist, right? The social climate that exists right now around people trying to be as woke as they can be and people mobilizing to kind of stand your ground and um, make sure that we're not thrown back 20 or 30 years is part of what has helped advances happen. So it's about people saying enough. It's about people saying, um, I believe that a better community, a better world is possible. And I believe that I can be a part of that. And I do think that as a result of like last year's election and everything that's happened since, there is this groundswell of activity and righteous indignation and this desire to like, I need to keep things moving forward because people see things falling back. And I think that ultimately that'll be the same thing that leads to to wins. Although I'm not sure what they're going to look like. This is Haley. So along those lines, I think it's never being satisfied with where we've gotten, always saying we can do better, there's more to do. And so when we have seen these small advances, celebrating those and saying, yes, this is amazing what we've accomplished and what we have as a society have accomplished, but then saying, what can we do now? How can we make this better? How can we improve? What can we keep doing? Um, And that's really the motivation behind our entire mission. Can you all cite an example of a, a real success story in this training or your work in general? In other words, maybe a group that seemed like really sticking, you know, sticking to their beliefs, heels dug in where you really saw some opening of minds and broadening of horizons. And can you kind of walk us through a real success story about when you saw this training really kind of click and do its thing in that way that that you really hope for? This is Angela. And what comes to my mind is like, there are certain organizations that you would never expect for them to invite you in to like facilitate dialogues on issues of race and discrimination. And when you see organizations that are those kinds of organizations that you never imagine them inviting you in, inviting you in. Or for instance, last year when we had, as a result of everything that had happened in Charlottesville, we had a community conversation around countering hate. And we were fortunate to have the mayor and the chief of police and Simone Tama Flowers from IACT and Karen Crawford from the Commission on Immigrant Affairs come and participate in this dialogue. And when we had to find a different venue because our venue was too small and we were able to partner with Houston Tillotson University and we had a full house and people were out and they were, they were upset and they wanted to figure out how they could change things. I think those are the moments that you're like, yes, we're winning. And like they give you, they kind of fuel your fire to keep on going. Angela Jo Totho Medina is executive director of YWCA Greater Austin. And Haley Campbell is the Volunteer and Training Institute coordinator with YWCA Greater Austin. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you.